0: Denver Broncos have won the Super Bowl, and it is now on to the offseason. Before we go any further, though, we are going to give really our thoughts on what happened over the weekend uh, in the game on Sunday, which I think, uh, you know, frankly, caught a lot of folks off guard here. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield in studio, and Mark, we had put up a poll, actually, on Twitter uh, that we put out to all of our followers, uh, we got you know close to a couple hundred responses, and it was tilted 70-30 towards Carolina, and I think inside our offices was probably about the same, to be honest, and I was on the wrong side of this, I believe you were on the wrong side, and seems like an awful lot of people had Carolina, and unfortunately went home uh, a little disappointed.
1: Yeah, it looks that way. Um I I think this game and this result pretty much took people by surprise the majority of people. Um people saw how Denver their offense really wasn't, you know, firing on all cylinders during the playoffs. Obviously they got to the Super Bowl, but it was on the strength of their defense and people just thought, look, this Carolina team is much more well-rounded. Um they've got the, the ability to kind of slow down that Denver pass rush and, you know, an X factor in Cam Newton who's a guy that can break the pocket and extend plays with his feet, but he had nowhere to go on so many times that he dropped back. I mean, play after play, you know, he can get away from the first guy, but then he's got two other guys just waiting for him and just never had time, could never get into rhythm, and, you know, it just kind of snowballed from there.
0: Yeah, it really did, and I think, in, in my opinion, when we talk about the struggles of Cam Newton – It starts and ends with the pass rush that Denver was able to put on. And not just the fact uh, that Denver was able to notch. I believe it was, was it seven sacks, I think? I believe it was seven, seven sacks in the game. But just the consistency with which not even... Uh, you know, just not giving Cam any room to operate in the pocket. We've and Brian Filipiak did a great piece uh, earlier this year on what he called rush lane integrity, which is maintaining your proper lane when you're rushing the passer so that you don't open up uh, avenues of escape for the quarterback. And I'll tell you, the rush lane integrity of the Denver pass rush. Was outstanding. It was there were just no gaps there. Everyone was right where they were supposed to be, and it gave Cam very few opportunities to make plays either inside or outside the pocket.
1: Yeah, and you know what was really important about that was you know there were times when Denver did twist, it did stunt up front, but you know if for example Von Miller twists inside, Derek Wolfe or somebody else was looping around to the outside. So even if Newton identified that and tried to break the pocket. He was running into somebody's arms immediately. I mean, he got hit, looks like he was hit 13 times last, last night in the Super Bowl. That was twice his season high and 10 times more than his average. He was pressured, let's see, 21 times, which is, you know, Denver pressured Tom Brady 23 times in the AFC Championship game. So, you know, and then if you look at pro football focus, at least from their, you know, stats, his completion percentage dipped to 31.3% when he was under pressure in this game. I mean, you can't win a football game with those kinds of numbers
0: no you you really can't and I think uh the other thing that you know when you when you talk about the effect that this had. On Newton and the Panthers offense we had talked and I think it was probably back in December when we were talking about the Panthers a little bit we had talked about how in particular in the passing game Newton had been able to minimize the mistakes uh, that had haunted him through the first four years of his career you go back and you look at you know the interception numbers in his is first four years and you go 17 12 13 12 down to 10 this year you look at fumble numbers three five one six one this year so you say okay you know he was able to minimize those mistakes and then you go and you look in the passing game here and you've got three turnovers from Newton and I think a lot of it was just because he could never get comfortable in the pocket and ended up in situations where a you know he thinks he has some time doesn't have it ends up fumbling a pass ends up fumbling uh you know another ball in the pocket and then throwing a
1: bad pick as well Yeah. And again, it it all stems off of pressure. I mean, so much of it from the quarterback position is the hits start to add up. And I've I've made this analogy before. It's a lot like a boxer getting hit with body blows in the first and the second and the third rounds. They don't do damage, but it adds up. And so by round seven, you know, the legs aren't there. The stamina isn't there. The energy isn't there. It's the same thing for a quarterback. If you're getting hit on snap after snap, if you're constantly under pressure – the mental clock accelerates, you make decisions faster, and when you make decisions faster and throws faster, you don 't make the right decisions, you don 't put the ball where it needs to be there 's another amazing stat from this game it 's from ESPN that Cam Newton had ten overthrown passes in this Super Bowl tied for the most in the game in super Bowl history. Tying Jim Kelly from Super Bowl it looks like twenty six and Stan Humphreys in twenty nine I mean accuracy was a problem. he made mistakes with the football and then you know, the fumbles and turnovers as well, all as a result of pressure.
0: Yeah, and and I think, you know, when we talk about the the difference in this game, it comes down in my mind to two areas. One is the turnovers that we saw, because obviously, you know, when you commit that many turnovers, I believe Carolina had four overall, I think, three of those uh, being from Newton. But you talk about that, and then the points that Denver's able to get off of them, one obviously directly, just recovering the fumble, uh, you know, right down in the end zone there. But, you know, it's just, it was a game where the Carolina defense played well. I mean, they, they, they limited the Broncos to, I want to what was it, 200 and, uh, 230 yards, I think it was, when it was all said and done here? Yeah, I mean, it was the lowest yardage total for a team that won a Super Bowl. Yeah, so 194 yards, so not even 200 yards, so the Carolina defense did everything that they were supposed to do. The turnovers from the Carolina offense were one piece there, but the second piece that I wanted to get into was the special teams from Carolina, and this is something that we had talked about on our show on Friday, where I said, look, I I think that Carolina probably has some flashier players, but... When you talk about the consistency that Denver had at this point with Britton Colquitt in the way he was punting, I said, "Look, you probably favor Colquitt unless uh, Carolina, you know, suddenly realizes all their potential on special teams, and they really didn't." And there were, you know, a couple key plays here. The first one, you go back to the first half, and Carolina is punting here and they're punting from their 47-yard line. So they're already in a situation where, you know, you're trying to pin Denver deep. You're sitting here saying, okay, we want to try to pin Denver around their 10-yard line. First thing you see is that Nortman, who has a huge leg but his distance control can be spotty, ends up with a 28-yard punt. Okay, so it, it ends up at the Denver 25, so it's not going deep to begin with. And then you have this strange situation where the Carolina coverage unit for whatever reason, you know, thought that there was a fair catch. It pretty much had that pretty much had to be what happened and just doesn't tackle the Denver returner. And I had written a piece last week that talked about a touchdown that Carolina had given up, which the the key issue there wasn't that Carolina wasn't in good coverage position. It was just that they had no situational awareness on that return that led to them getting walled off and sealed off there. And we talk about situational awareness here and it wasn't the exact same thing that happened but it's the same root cause and it's just you can't make the same mistakes over and over there and that led right to a Denver field goal Denver couldn't move the ball okay essentially would have gone three and out they picked up 9 yards but they were already you know down at the Carolina 14 to start that drive if you give them you know the entire field pretty much you can't really do anything on defense
1: no matter how good you are yeah and I mean, that kind of like sums up the entire night for Carolina. I well, mean, it just seems like they just weren't – I mean, you hate to ascribe things like they weren't there mentally, but it just seems like they were off basically offensively and special teams-wise. Their defense did a great job. I mean, their defense kept them in this game. Their defense got the turnover that they needed. Then they got that strip sack of beaten, yep. um, set them up for a short field, but the offense couldn't capitalize. They held to a field goal. So instead of it being – What could have been a 16-13 game, it's, I think, 16-10, if my math is right. Um, You know, they don't get the touchdown. They're held to a field goal. Offense just couldn't get it going. Special teams lays a couple of eggs on a couple of different plays. And, you know, in the end, that was enough for Denver.
0: When you talk about you know, you also have the uh, the missed field goal from Graham Gano from forty four yards. That's, right, that's a kick that Gano for you know the flaws that he has, which he's a kicker that ends up with a lot of kicks blocked sometimes. But you know he's generally a pretty reliable kicker when he's not kicking the ball into someone's hand. And for him to miss that kick, granted he came back and he made another one later on. I think it was a thirty three yarder uh, a little bit later on in the game, but. You talk about that, and if you take away that you know the the field goal that Denver got off the short field, and you put that one in, you're sitting there saying, okay, it's a ten ten game coming out of halftime, pretty much, and you have a very different look. Instead, you know, you get that missed field goal, and Denver goes up sixteen to seven, and really Carolina never threatened again after that. It was you know it was a a game that you know while the Carolina defense, as we said, you know did everything they were supposed to do. The offense just couldn't get in sync.
1: Yeah. And, you know, there was a split-second moment where I thought that Cam was actually going to take control of this game, and it's a weird play to talk about. But it's that final fumble where, you know, they need a score. They're down six. You know, it's almost like five minutes left to go in the game, and it's third down, and he has the ball knocked out of his hands. And for a split second, it looked like he was going to tuck that and run yep. and pick up big yardage. And then it all kind of fell to pieces
0: there's there was a lot of talk, and it would be remiss not to talk about it today yeah. a, lot, a lot of talk about Cam Newton and the way he handled himself during the game and you know, I think it's it's easy to say he should have done this or he should have behaved in this way or that way. You were a quarterback you you know you know it's a unique position where. You know, unlike any other sport, it's it's a true leadership role that's well defined. Unlike you know any other position in any other sport. What's your take on it from someone who has played that position?
1: It's hard. I mean, I understand. Well, let me take them back. I don't exactly understand what was going through his mind. I think a couple of different things were going through his mind during that. Let's just look at that fumble for a second. Because I really thought at that split second that he was going to tuck it and go. He had a hole. It looked like it was going to like bounce right to him. And I think right up until the moment where he backed away, he thought, I'm going to tuck this and run. But then there was you know, a Denver player that was on the turf diving for the football. And I don't know if he suddenly thought he was going to be able to pick it up. So he thought the ball was going to bounce a little bit and bounce back or – You know, there's a potential there that he made the decision consciously not to dive in and not to risk an injury at that point in time. We've seen it happen. Look at Drew Brees. His career was almost ended on a move like this in a regular season game. He dove in for a fumble. Torres Labrum needed to have his shoulder reconstructed as a result of it. I mean, there are coaches out there that have told quarterbacks, like, don't risk this. Like, don't dive into the pile because it is the easiest way to suffer an injury to your shoulder or your arms. If you dive headfirst into a pile against a bunch of guys that are much bigger than you, you're going to get hurt. Drew Brees got hurt. Now, down six in a Super Bowl in the fourth quarter with five minutes to go. I mean, that's a spot where you kinda gotta you gotta put your head in there.
0: Well, and you've got a guy playing on your defense and we've all seen the pictures of Thomas Davis's arm right. right now, which, you know, literally looks like a football the way it is stitched up right in order for him to play in that game. And, you know, if I'm sitting there and I'm saying, Look, I've got this guy who literally broke his arm two weeks ago and is doing anything and everything to be here to sacrifice for this team, you know, I think it, it does raise some questions there.
1: Especially when, you know, Cam Newton's not, you know, I'm 5'10, a buck 80. He's not Russell you know, Wilson. He's you not know? Russell Wilson. He's the size of J.J. Watt. I mean, he could probably dive in there and wrestle that ball out. But for whatever reason, none of us will ever know. He hasn't said what was going through his mind at that moment in time. But for whatever reason, he didn't. And certainly has left himself open to a lot of criticism, not just on that play, but you know the post-game press conference when he got up and walked away. Although The post-game you know, doesn't bother me, too. I, I, it doesn't, that you know, doesn't bother me either. I mean, if you think about it. Like the
0: post-game, literally, your season just came to an end in a pretty crushing way.
1: You're still in, basically, and he's still in his game pants. He's yeah. still in uniform. I mean, I, I lose a game in Madden, and I don't want to talk to anybody for like an hour. Right.
0: And, 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 I and that's und- Madden.
1: That's not the Super Bowl.
0: I can understand, you know, people say, look, it's not the way you want to handle it. Okay, fine. Like, it's, it's not the way you want to handle it. I'm pretty sure Cam knows that, too. But it's, you know, in the, in the broad scheme of what I saw last night, the postgame stuff, look, that's a crushing defeat right there. If the guy's going to be a little short with the media and, and you know, a little bit, uh, you know, terse in his comments and, and not necessarily showing the best there... I get that. I don't have a huge problem with it. It's no. not perfect, but in terms of what I saw last night, that's not where I have the biggest issue.
1: I mean, is it basically the the? Is it the fumble or is it more than that?
0: The, the fumble's there, and also, and, and look, it's I, I hate to try to read so much into it, but there was, and there was a GIF of uh, it was of Newton. I think it was when Denver scored that last touchdown. And right. you see Newton literally, you know, he, he pretty much collapses on the sideline. And on one level, I sit there and I say, look, this means a ton to him. I love seeing that from him. But at the same time, I sit there and I say, look, the game's not over yet. I know you may think it's improbable, but we've seen improbable things before in playoff football. We've seen the unexpected happen. And for someone who is the leader of a team to just, you know, to, to just, do that on a sideline, I sit there and I say, look, I, I want someone who, even if he doesn't believe it, I want someone who's up and saying, look, we're going to take this ball and we're going to go down and take care of business. And and look, I, I get that Cam is a guy that wears his emotions on his sleeve and it's part of what makes him great. So I'm sitting here and, and I'm saying this at the same time when, look, it's part of what makes him a great player and what part of what allows his team to rally around him. But it's tough for me to see that and say, that that's what I want to see there. Does that make sense?
1: No, I mean, that that makes complete sense. I mean, I think kind of looking at almost on the global macro level, it's almost as if Cam Newton has kind of become the ultimate mirror for NFL fans. Oh, he totally is. You see in him what you want to see. And I mean, and there were people that the second that that fumble play happened, they were at the ready on Twitter to just crush him because they want, they, for whatever reason, whether it's the way he plays the game, whether it's because of the allegations when he was at Auburn and being recruited to Mississippi State, for whatever reason, they don't like Cam Newton. So there was their moment to crush the guy. There are people like myself that really love watching Cam Newton play. And the second that fumble play happened, I was like, oh, well, you don't want to dive in there and separate your shoulder. And, you know, we're trying to kind of almost not make excuses for him, but try to give some reasons as to why that could happen. So I think. He's just like the ultimate mirror for all of NFL fans, and we see what we want to see in him, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's ugly. And uh, that might be the more fascinating takeaway from this, other than perhaps Peyton Manning you know, dropping his Budweiser reference <laughs> after the game or kissing Papa John's immediately after the game. Which yeah, exactly. You can that'll, go into that
0: if you that, want. That'll but. leave a bad taste in your mouth, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, can <laughs> we get the guy to you know endorse him? Like, let's think about his big endorsement deals. He's got Papa John's, Budweiser – nationwide in buick it's just an all-american boy he's just that's that's what he is
0: he's just an all-american boy and and look you got to say because we haven't talked about peyton at all we've got a couple minutes left here let's chat on this okay obviously peyton manning didn't have a vintage peyton manning performance but on one level i sit back and i say you know what it's kind of fitting that there's finally a team where Peyton didn't have to do everything because he was on those Colts teams for so many years where the defense gave no help and they were putting up all kinds of points. And and despite that, he he couldn't get, you know, the number of championships that you see from a guy like Tom Brady through no fault of his own necessarily. And to finally be here and say, look, I didn't have to carry the burden. I think it's almost kind of fitting because there were so many times where he did more than his fair share and didn't get there.
1: Right, and you know you have to, uh, on some level, appreciate probably what he put his body through this year just to just to get to this point, just to get to this game. I mean, you could tell pretty early in that game that there was he had nothing, absolutely nothing. I'm reminded of that for love of the game book or in movie with Kevin Costner playing Billy Chappell. sure, out there in the ninth inning throwing nothing but junk. I mean, that's all he could do. That's all Manning could do, but. To will himself to this point, and it's still Peyton Manning back there. He made a couple of good throws when he needed to. I mean, they, he just had nothing left, but still, it was enough to win a Super Bowl with that defense.
0: And, and that's that's where I come back to. It's I I find it fitting because Manning's a guy who has been criticized. You know, can't win the big, even even though he's won a Super Bowl. It's now it's oh well, you don't have as many as Eli. You know, there's there's always something that people were willing to criticize Peyton for. And I think it's just fitting that finally he didn't have to carry that burden himself and he could say, look, I have a team that can do this. And and frankly, look, John Elway, when he came in and brought in right. Peyton Manning, that was his model. Like He said, yeah. look, I, at the end of my career, I couldn't do it all myself. I want to lay it off to other people for Peyton here. And that's the exact team that he built. And credit goes to John Elway for having the vision to do that and build this team the way he did. It's It was... You know, you you look at and you say he did exactly what he set out to do.
1: Right. Speaking of Eli, though, that's going to be a little bit of awkwardness around the man in households. Yeah. I mean, wh- how do you think they settle this now? Well, I was talking about that. You, you've seen that video of <laughs> yeah, Eli. I, yeah, I saw th- of
0: him up in the uh, the yeah, box. Up in the box. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Daggers coming out,
1: huh? Yeah. I mean, I guess you know Eli. I don't know if New York can get back to a Super Bowl anytime soon, but I mean. I think if you're Eli, you just play the look. I beat Tom twice in the Super Bowl card. Well,
0: and you do figure, Eli's 35 now. He's got... You know, three years left, maybe four years left. So you figure, you know, especially in in a weak NFC East, you know, the Giants always have a chance in that division. There, yeah. uh, obviously, you know, you do have potentially a resurgent Washington team uh, if uh, you know if it does turn out that they have found their quarterback there for the next few years. Uh, but you know, you never put anything past Eli. Eli is one of the great clutch competitors of all time in the NFL. He's right. a guy that just shows up. He's a guy that looks pedestrian for 16 games of the regular season. You say, how could this guy be an NFL quarterback sometimes? And then he just comes out and is just absolute nails in the playoffs.
1: Yeah. Although, it, it, I don't want to get too far ahead on the NFC East, but that could be a pretty decent division next year if you kind of look at the teams and what they've got coming back. Well, it depends, I think. And I go through and I say,
0: okay, you know, a lot of it, if you talk about Dallas, depends on the health of Tony Romo. Right and and what he has left and whether whether he's able to stay healthy for a full season. I don't know I don't know that at this point. He's been beaten up. Uh has he when's the last time he played a full season? Did he play a full one in 2014?
1: I don't think so. I don't, that was the back, right?
0: Yeah, I think I'll go and take a look, but I'm pretty sure when we take a look at Romo here, and I'm going to have to pull him up just to to see when the last time he did play a full 16 games was But we go back and take a look at his numbers here. Last time he did play 15 and and 14 and 15 and 13, but the last time he played a full 16 was back in 2012 now. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of start to wonder okay, you know, he's 35 as well, but, you know, he's kind of an older 35 with all the pounding he's taken in the last five years or so. You know, you got to wonder about him. I do think that Washington team has the ability to do some damage, and you got to wonder what happens uh, post chip in Philly now.
1: Yeah. A little post uh, little Super Bowl uh post game festivities for some of the guys in the Philly squad it looks like.
0: <laughs> it sure does. It sure does. But, Mark, I think we are uh, just about out of time for the day. This pretty much puts a wrap on our 2015-2016 uh, uh, season coverage here.
1: Yeah, we, we did some good work this season, my friend. We did some good work. But we, now-
0: we certainly did. To, uh, to all of our listeners, thanks again for tuning in. It's been a pleasure being with you so far through uh, this season here. Starting tomorrow, though. We turn our sights to uh, the draft. We're starting to get into draft mode already. I believe we're going to have Brian Perez from DraftBreakdown.com coming on. They've done some very exciting things in the last day or so, so he's going to be joining both Mark and myself on our full-length Wednesday podcast. Until then, we'll see you later.